What's going on, everybody? You are listening to the inaugural episode of Reasonably Outrageous. My name is Matt Wyrick. I'm with Blake Pace here, and this is our first episode. Blake, it's great to hit the airwaves. I know, especially early in the morning. I made sure I got out of bed nice and early to get over here. I like to usually sleep in when I got these uh, Thursday classes late in the afternoon, but we are here. I'm very excited to get into this. I know we both have some podcast experience before, but never really co-hosting it together. I appeared, of course, on the Pure Sports Pod back in the day. We've had our various shows, but it's cool to get something started. Yeah, I'm really pumped here. I think both of us have very unique perspectives. Blake, of course, writes for Stampede Blue, the Colts SB Nation blog. I write for Federal Baseball, the Washington Nationals blog. So we both have a bit of different backgrounds. Um, Oddly enough, you're wearing a Cardinals shirt and a Yankees hat. Oh, Um, yeah. Well, this isn't supposed to be a Cardinals shirt. Interesting enough, it's it's a replica. I guess it is, but it's a replica from a bar back home. Okay, that like so. it's one of those things where you drink you drink ten beers and then they give you you have to drink ten different draft beers and then they'll give you a t shirt. Oh wow! And it's just like a fun little promotion. You did that in an hour, I'm guessing. Exactly, exactly, as quick <laughs> as possible. I was just ripping through them all. Of course, yeah. Well, as much as we've been consumed by Game of Thrones uh, oh, over the past, yeah, <laughs> we I mean honestly, I, I binge watched the entire show um, in August. Just the gotcha. entire show yeah. in a month, mm-hmm. and it literally has been on my mind every day since. <laughs> so I didn't have to wait as long as so many other people, you know, right. to see what happened. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm I'm on the train that the Night King is Targaryen uh, because oh, there are wow. three dragon riders in the books, right? Right. And we have Jon Snow, who's a Targaryen. We have mm-hmm. obviously Daenerys. Where kind of everyone's wondering who the third person is. Maybe it's Tyrion uh, because he got along with the dragons a little bit early on. But yeah. the Night King's already ridden one. That's so, true. You know, that's, I haven't that's thought about right. that. So I guess you got Night King Targaryen, but maybe he's the rightful heir to the throne. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> never know. I'm, I'm hashtag all in on hashtag creepy Bran. Creepy that was Bran. that was my favorite storyline of that first episode. Is just how creepy he was, man. Just always who's wheeling him out there. Who's wheeling him out to those spots where he's He's got to have some ramps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Winterfell's got a ton of ramps. (laughs) Built on ramps. Got to. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and jump in here. Uh, We're going to start with what seemed to be the biggest storyline yesterday, which probably shouldn't have been the biggest storyline, but ESPN promoted it as the biggest storyline, the NFL schedule release. Yeah. and, And what was crazy about the schedule release is... All the NFL teams really got behind in making it interesting. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know, ESPN really churned out, oh, we're releasing the schedule, we're going to break it down, go through it on ESPN. But, but man, the promotional videos, mm-hmm. the Falcons, we were just talking about Game, Game of Thrones. Thrones, they had their own Game of Thrones video. A little slight to the Saints. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little slight to the Saints, that was pretty funny. Uh, the Colts had... Um, the Colts had Andrew Luck just get in front of a camera and read through the schedule and give, like, weird random facts about each city that they play in or like where the teams are from i'm trying to think what were some of the, the other broncos did our opponents as pop tarts oh uh was it the broncos or was, or was it, it the chargers, the, it, was chargers. It, was the chargers. it was the chargers yeah yes. yeah i there was one i can't even remember i think it was the steelers it was a black pop tart that was burnt and it had cheese melted on it <laughs> that's there, amazing there is so many good well, ones the, the packers one has cheese had yeah, cheese yeah, melted too cheese. because of you know cheese. wisconsin yep. yeah no a lot of fun ones it was cool to see like i i don't know i've always been mad at the nfl for not being as active on social media the nba just seems to be very forward with all of and progressive with all the ways that they market themselves to the league and the nfl really didn't Seemed to be much about that, but then this off season, even even with the teams making those big trades, like with you know Odell Beckham Jr., Antonio Brown, there was a whole Russell Wilson. Maybe he was going to get traded. Debate. Um, 
the NFL just seems to be going more toward they're finally understanding that you can make so much more money and bring in such a bigger audience if you market to that. And and the schedule release was just an, a cool thing to see all the teams kind of release it in their own interesting way. I thought it was hilarious two years ago when NFL like locked or uh, got down on teams for using their clips uh, on social media. Yeah, really it was a whole. Weird. Well, it was one thing they were saying that. Nobody else but NFL entities can use it, right? So they were saying, like, Bleacher Report, fans, whoever, you can't just cut up clips and post it on Twitter. Mm -hmm. But they also included teams in that initial ruling. Now, they ended up loosening on that, and teams were allowed to post their own highlights, because I don't know why they wouldn't Right. But I remember the Eagles uh, made a bunch of gifts of paper football uh, scores, like touchdowns and stuff, for their highlights after uh, certain plays. I thought that was really clever. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, the NFL's really jumped around on that. I mean, the NFL is money-driven, and at the end of the day, they saw that what was happening there as a threat to their overall control of that money. Yeah. Uh, so they had to crack down on it. I don't I don't agree with that. Right, but I think, exactly. Like the NBA, like you said, recognized, you know, if we are just letting people use our video whenever they want, that's just free marketing. Yeah. You know, like, why not just let people go for it? I know the royalties and all that kind of stuff is going to, you know, change, change things a little bit. You might mm-hmm. lose some money there, but you're gaining money, I think, in the long run by bringing in more fans. I mean, the NBA's fan base is so young. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly. something... The NFL, I wouldn't say, is struggling with a young fan base. That's more the MLB's problem. Uh, right. But just in general, I mean, the NFL has pissed a lot of people off. Uh, and yeah. if you want to rope some of those people back in, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's one of the good ways to do it. Yeah, I'll always be on, on the, the boat. I want Adam Silver to commission the NFL just to see what he'd do. I'm not a big Roger Goodell fan. Neither am I. Excuse me, man. Got a got a little something stuck in my throat, but uh, <laughs> but um, I to see the work that Adam Silver has done with the NBA, just making it you know more for the players. That's something that I always stand for. I always want to see the players. I always side with the players than I will the owners or the you know the general managers stuff like that. So it's it's good to see stuff happen like that. And if the NFL can get more into a player friendly type of area and you know make things more fun like the NBA. They'll make even more money than they already have. So that's my thought. But yeah, schedule release was pretty big last night. Um, you know, a, a lot of big things coming out. A lot of great primetime games that I, I'm really looking forward to. Um, but but yeah. Well, let's jump into primetime here. So yeah. the Titans, right? Good team over the past few years. Only one primetime game next season. Week three, Thursday night football against the Jags. Which who watches Thursday night football? Who watches the Jaguars? <coughs> so... The, the odds of a lot of people tuning into that game are pretty slim. Right. Do you think the NFL slighted Tennessee, or is their lack of exposure deserved? Um, I, I'm going to go with that. It's a mix of both. Now, obviously, I think that you know you should give teams in smaller markets maybe the opportunity to, but the Titans, to me, are just a really boring team. They're 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 really bland, and whether it's you know maybe they're. If you look at the quarterbacks, Marcus Mariota still hasn't played a full 16 games in a regular season in his entire NFL career. Ryan Tannehill, new quarterback brought in there, assumed to be the backup, but if Mariota gets injured, he could also step back in there. He's not really a guy that's really uh, popping off as a name you're excited to watch. Now, I guess the thing is is that the Titans are really built uh, just as a physical team. They want to run the ball well, and they want to be tough up front, physical up front. And that's cool. I don't think that's really... You know what's enticing 
to the majority of fans. If you think about the the biggest games from last year, the Chiefs Rams Monday Night Football game that that put up a combined over a hundred points, stuff like that is more intriguing for primetime games. You think about when the Saints destroyed the Redskins. I think that was also on Monday Night Football. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, where you're getting high scoring affairs. And now you know Thursday night. I feel like I hate Thursday night football in general. I I think it's 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 so tough to have a team play on Sunday, and especially if they're the away team that they've got to travel um, to another destination on a short schedule and play Thursday night football. You're not a you're not fully prepared. Mm-hmm. I, you know I think some teams even might just not essentially make it a wash of a game, but kind of definitely don't put in their full game plan that they would have for that team. Um, now, if you're looking at Titans-Jags, like you said, no one's really interested in watching that. I guess it comes down to marquee names on the team, and if you were to go through it, Malcolm Butler's on the team. He's a pretty big name. You know, he won that Super Bowl for New England when they beat the Seahawks, but, you know, since he's been in Tennessee, he, he's getting less attention, kind of just because, you know, it, it's a smaller market. The Patriots are one of the more respected, um, more popular franchises in all of football, Marcus Mariota is a is a name that people know, but it's more known for you know inconsistencies, the inability to stay healthy. Uh, Derrick Henry is, is a popular name, but it's because of that one you know ninety eight yard rush last year, and you know he has a few good plays. But at the end of the day, the Titans' schedule to me and their lack of primetime games, I feel like is kind of deserved. Just because there's not really anything enticing to the team. If they want to maximize the amount of viewers on primetime games, you need to get the best teams there. I mean, I agree with you. And we're talking about a team that's gone 9-7 each of the last three years. A team that hasn't ranked top 10 offensively in either points or yards since 2003. I mean, this is an offense-driven league. You know, I love Mike Grable. What he did to that defense was Outstanding, oh, great. and made it great. honestly made. I think even though they finished nine and seven once again, that Titans team is definitely trending in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And certainly, we saw with Derrick Henry coming along at the end of the year, it really seemed like you know they were clicking on all cylinders. And when they just missed the playoffs, they seemed like oh the team could have made trouble, but ultimately didn't. I think the best, first of all, the best uh, teams did make the playoffs. You know, I think the Steelers didn't deserve to make it. I didn't think the, yeah. the Titans deserved to make it. Um, all those teams that were right on the bubble that didn't make it, because sometimes you see like a team like the Dolphins get in there last minute, and you're like, oh, yeah. how did they get in? I, the Titans have been that team. They were that team literally two years ago, mm-hmm. and they lost in the divisional round. Yeah. They did win that bizarre playoff game where Marietta oh, threw a touchdown to himself. To himself, yeah, uh, against yeah, Kansas City. One of, one of the worst playoff oh, games crazy ever. Crazy game. Um, but Overall, I agree. I tend to agree with you. I mean, you know, the Titans' quarterback is not marketable. Marcus Mariota has been so bland. I mean, what do you know about his personality? He is the sponsor for spam. That's that that, that encapsulated it all right there. <laughs> That's it. I That's mean, his thing. you know, I'm I'm not sold on on the Titans as a contender this year, and I think that's another part of it. You know, yeah. you see a team like the 49ers got four primetime games. You know that's that's pretty significant for a team that you know what finished in the top five draft order. Exactly. I mean, you know, obviously Jimmy G's coming back, and that that was the big draw last year. A lot of people were buying into the Forty mm-hmm. Niners with G, Jimmy G then. Um, but you know, I, I think that's the biggest difference is is the marketability, and the Titans are just so Titans. You know, like yeah. you don't nothing really comes to mind. Their colors aren't even exciting. You yeah, know, I, I yeah. can't I can't think of one storyline going into the year that really gets me pumped about the Titans. I mean. Mariota on the hot seat, that's kind of the bad thing no, more, yeah. than, more than a good that's thing. That's their biggest storyline heading into this year. That's the biggest story is that if Marcus Mariota has another bad season, the Titans will probably look to move on from him, which is really unfortunate given you know the success he had in college and stuff like that. But like you're saying, if that's the biggest story going into the season, that's not something marketable to put on a lot of primetime games. Exactly. Now on the flip side, the Vikings have the maximum five primetime games this year. 
given their struggles, particularly those of Kirk Cousins, in such games, should we be worried about Minnesota entering the season? Um, I think that there are a lot of reasons to be worried about Minnesota. First off, you know, Chicago, um, to me, is still the best team in that division. Green Bay, I expect to be a lot better than they were last year. I believe getting an offensive mind um, in the building as head coach, um, you know, working with Aaron Rodgers, if that relationship can really flourish, uh, then that's great. I think their offseason additions on defense as well will really make some improvements. They improved on the defensive line. They brought in a safety. Um, and, you know, they've got two first-round picks. So you, you really can't underestimate Aaron Rodgers and the Packers next year. So then you're already thinking that the Vikings might be either, you know, this tied for the second best or the third best team in the division. But when you look at the schedule and the way they played it out, um, you know, the, the primetime games, you look at Thursday night, Washington Redskins. That's a game that you got to put on primetime television. Kirk Cousins' return to, uh, or not his return, um, is it at Washington yet? Yep. No, it's, it's, in, it's, in, it's in Minnesota, yeah. So you've got but it'll be Case Keenum his, coming to Minnesota. Right, exactly. So you've got, <laughs> you've got these two teams playing against each other against their former quarterbacks. Um, I'm trying to look at what the other primetime games necessarily are. You've got Monday Night Football against the Packers. Great divisional battle. That's a huge game that you know I would, I would want to see on primetime, especially in Week 16 when both of those teams are probably going to be fighting for either the division or the wild card spot. Um, let's see, Sunday night, what do they even have for their Sunday night game? It is, uh, where is it? I'm struggling to find it. Don't have it. Up oh, Sunday night football at the Dallas Cowboys. I guess that that matchup isn't really that intriguing to me. Dallas made the playoffs. What a playoff game! Yeah, Dallas was in the playoffs. Minnesota. I mean, that'll be cool to see those offensive weapons. I like Dallas's defense. Um, man, you know, five primetime games for the Vikings. I, I think you know. Interesting twist off this is what I think it is. People love the narrative that Kirk Cousins can't play in primetime games. <laughs> and that's hilarious that they have the most in the NFL because, once again, and first off, let me set this straight. I think that that is the most ridiculous uh, grudge to hold against a player. Primetime games are just another game. I get that it's nationally televised, but you're, I doubt that the players are sitting in the locker room before like, oh my God, I'm freaking out. This is <laughs> going to be on ESPN on Monday Night Football. Like, no, it's not that different. It's a normal football game, and so I don't buy into that. Maybe Kirk Cousins just doesn't do well against good teams. That's probably just it because you're playing primetime games against good teams. So I don't buy the, the, the fact that they can't that Kirk Cousins just can't play in primetime, but it'll be a narrative we'll hear five times more if they go 0-5 in these primetime games. So, Which would be hilarious. Which would be, yeah, exactly. <laughs> because it'll be just so funny to see the, you know, the talking heads on all of the, the major networks just ride that for a week straight. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you were to think about the Vikings, uh, is there much to be excited about different this year than last year? Of course, new offensive coordinator in there. Um I guess, you know, if Delvin... This should be the year that Delvin Cook is back to Delvin Cook form. You know, with big injuries like that, um, I believe it was a torn ACL. It's more of a two-year thing. Definitely. So Delvin Cook should have a big year this upcoming year. Maybe if the Vikings shore up their offensive line uh, in the first round of the draft. Of course, Thielen and Diggs are a great one-two combo. They've got great players on defense. Um, Anthony Barr came back. Yeah, Anthony Barr decided to spur <laughs> the, the uh, Jets and return to Minnesota. Um, you know... Would I do I want to see the Vikings play five primetime games? Probably not. But um, if they are a team, if they are the team that 
people should expect them to be, then I think that those later ones on in the season, like we said, week uh, 16 against Green Bay, stuff like that will be interesting to watch. Absolutely. I think whether or not you believe the Vikings can compete is whether or not you believe the Bears were for real. I think, you know, you you look at what the Jaguars did. You know, they came from the bottom of the division to come up and make the AFC Championship game. The Bears went from worst to to best, won the division, the first NFC North title in God knows how long, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, finished 12-4, and but... You know, we had a year when the, the Packers really just reeled all year, especially on the defensive side of the ball. The Vikings were just a mess. Uh, you know, we d- really didn't see any kind of threat from the Lions. So I feel like the Bears are in the driver's seat now, and this is a new position for them. We saw what happened to the Jaguars last year. They felt, really fell apart. This is a team built on defense, like the Bears, you know, that was... Could especially the cornerbacks, you know, were really held as one of the best secondaries in the league. Yeah. You know, you saw Fournette as a young emerging quarterback. Bortles, like Trubisky, a system quarterback who could get it done. You know, not isn't going to elevate your team. All right, I, I said I would talk about Blake Bortles. I know in the you're show. making me mad. Blake Bortles, my my most <laughs> now Bortles, Bortles got worse last year. I will say some of those throws he was making, but Trubisky makes the same throws, and that's the thing. Is now the pressure's on Trubisky. Trubisky was bad to start his career, right? And now now that he's had a chance to, to, to taste the success, mm-hmm. people are looking at him to you know elevate his game even more. Right. You know that puts a lot of pressure on a player, especially a young quarterback. Mm-hmm. So going into this next year, I, I see a lot of similarities between the Jaguars and the. Bears, and I'm not super impressed with the offseason that the Bears have had. I mean, top offensive player they got was Cordell Patterson. I mean, you know, Allen yeah. Robinson is not a number one wide receiver, and if you're going to play with a guy who's a system quarterback, you're going to need a really good uh, team around him. Uh, and, and Tariq Cohen, an absolute great dink and dunk running back, which is exactly Trubisky's style. But mm-hmm. Trubisky can air it out, and I think if yeah. you have somebody who can go over the top, Allen Robinson can't, Taylor, Ga- Taylor Gabriel can't, you know, Anthony Miller is still a big question mark. I'm not Super sold on anybody in that relief core to elevate them beyond that dink and dunk kind of play. Right, and, and that's interesting that you're, you know, the comparisons between the Jaguars and the Bears because it was just, it was bad, bad, bad. One year, great, making it to the playoffs, and now the pressure's on, like you were saying. And it's funny, if you look at the quarterbacks, Bortles and Trubisky, they're both taken very early on, um, not from, you know, prestigious programs mm-hmm. to say the least for either of them. Both of their best traits are probably their athleticism. They're probably two of the more athletic quarterbacks in the league. Um, you know how much I don't like Blake Bortles, and if you've listened <laughs> to me talk before about Blake Bortles, I think he's worse than maybe half of the backups in the NFL. That's as, that's as, as far down the list as I'm willing to go with Blake Bortles. Um, I guess I just have more faith in Trubisky than I do in Bortles. But, and maybe it's, it's Matt Nagy. More so that I have faith in. I, I think that he's one of the more brilliant play callers in football, um, and I believe that you know a lot of their success last year on offense. I know Trubisky had his down games, but he did have some success, um, you know, built on a really great offensive system. And I like Taylor Gabriel as a combination with him. I like Tariq Cohen. They did trade away Jordan Howard, so he'll no longer be there. I expect the Bears to address power running back in the draft, um, in in maybe the uh, middle to late rounds. To kind of get a pairing with uh, with Tariq Cohen now that uh, you know Jordan Howard is gone, Allen Robinson, like I said, you know I agree, not really trusted as a number one. I think they were kind of just tapped out on their their resources and probably didn't want to spend too much money. I mean, if you think about some of the younger guys on defense, they're going to have to pay soon. Trubisky, you've got to wait on him. You've got a few years, of course, to figure it out, but. Um, Man, yeah, I guess you know the Bears are an interesting team. There's going to be a lot of pressure on Trubisky heading into into what his third year now, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah, 
looking over to some other young quarterbacks. In the 2018 draft, five <laughs> teams drafted QBs in the first round. The Browns, who made the first of those five picks, will play each of the other four teams next season, including the Ravens, twice. What will the Browns' record in those five games be? Ooh. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Um, the Browns... I'm buying into the Browns not as heavily as some people might be. I've seen people... I'm all in. Oh, yeah, you are all in. <laughs> Matt put a wager on them. What, what was it again? I put $20 down <laughs> at plus 300 odds for the Browns to win the Super Bowl. That's 600 bucks uh, in my pocket if Baker Mayfield does what Baker Mayfield does. So... I'm I'm all in. Uh, I did it the day they signed Kareem Hunt, and the odds wow. hadn't updated yet. So I was, I'm all in on that train. I think Browns you know, to the Super Bowl. They didn't even have OBJ didn't at that point. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure the odds are much worse now, but or better. I don't know how that works. Right, better worse. Not you won't make as much money if you put money down on the Browns exactly. now. But um, yeah, no, I, I believe in Baker. I mean that offense that that last game of the season between the Browns and the Ravens last year. Uh, really just sold me on mm-hmm. not just Baker, but just the Browns in general. I mean, that team had grit. You know, they had nothing to play for in that game. <laughs> they knew that if they beat the Ravens in Week 17, the Ravens wouldn't be going to the playoffs. They ultimately lost that game. Strong defensive stand by that Ravens defense, which was one of the stingiest defenses in the NFL. Still dropped 24 points on them. I mean, you know, that was a really good performance. Uh, I was super impressed, and I, I believe that the Browns really, especially with the, where, where the AFC North's going, I think the Browns are... You know, have got a lot going for. Yeah, I love their offseason. You know, I think Odell is the most talented wide receiver in football, um, and I and I really think that they they should be expected to win the division, given how the Pittsburgh Steelers don't have as many stars um, around Ben Roethlisberger, and he's entering his seventeenth season in the NFL now. Um, the Ravens did lose a lot of key players on defense. I still expect them to be fine on defense, but the pressure's on Lamar Jackson. Like we were just saying, it's on Trubisky. We need to see that he can throw the ball. So if you look at that schedule, like you said, the question that you asked, realistically, I think that the Browns, so they've got two games, and then, so they've got six games against the rookie quarterback. Five games, because they play the other oh, four teams dumb, one twice. Yep. So five games, I would say realistically four and one. I think that they're... I think that it would be easiest to beat the Cardinals, um, mm-hmm. even if it's Kyler Murray at quarterback next year. Um, I still think that the Cardinals will have one of the worst rosters in football. So I think that's a win for the Browns. I believe that the Jets, while they did get Le'Veon Bell, Sam Darnold's year two. I'm not sold on Sam Darnold. Um, you know, defense, they've added a couple guys. They've got Jamal Adams. That'll be a good game, and we'll get to see it early on. We'll see it week two. So maybe the Jets could catch them off guard if maybe all these offensive pieces haven't really clicked yet, Mm -hmm. if they're not comfortable playing. Um, Of course, Kareem Hunt won't be there until week nine of the NFL season, but... You've, you know, maybe if Odell and Baker aren't on the same page by week two, the Jets can maybe catch them, but I doubt it. I just think that the Browns overall are the better team. Um, Baltimore, I, I'll give it a split with Baltimore, mm-hmm. and I, I think they'll be able to take one maybe at home, but on the road against Baltimore, it's just a it's just a physically dominating team, especially on defense. I know they lost some key guys, but I it's one of those things where I trust the system more than I trust the talent. It's like in New England. They lose guys every year on defense, but their coaching staff is so good that they make it work with the pieces they have, and they have guys you don't know about that are good. Mm-hmm. So I think that the Ravens were comfortable losing some of those guys on defense just because they've got younger guys, less known guys that they can get for cheaper that can put out around the same production level. So I'll say that they split with Baltimore, but they beat the Jets, they beat the Bills. Um, and they beat the Cardinals. Don't sleep on the Bills, all right? I'm a, oh, I'm a big no, Josh no, Allen fan. No, I know you are, too. I love Josh Allen. I love Josh Allen. I just... I, 
they have so many issues on their team, and I don't think Josh Allen can make up for all of them mm-hmm. because they they signed four offensive linemen. Because to say their offensive line was terrible, it was one of the worst in the league, and they might have signed four guys that'll probably be four of their starters. So mm-hmm. that's like that's crazy. That yeah. you're gonna first off, you got to make that work. They're all coming from different destinations, so you got to make sure that they click together. They signed wide receivers, but not any real marquee names. I really want them to go after DK Metcalf in the draft. I think he's a great deep threat, and if you've got Josh Allen, who might have the strongest arm in football, that can get it to him. That's a great connection. But on defense too, you know they they still need they still have holes. They could address the interior defensive line. Linebackers aren't great. Um, Tremaine Edmonds is still a really young talent. He came out of Tech last year. Was the youngest player in the NFL last year. I mean, then their secondary is is decent. And I, I love Sean McDermott as a coach. Um, I just think that it might be not the 2019 season, but the 2020 season that we see the Bills really make that jump. But I agree. They're, they're a good team, and I like what they have working around them. But with the Browns, I mean, if they can get it all working together, if Freddie Kitchens can really get a hold of that offense, they they can be one of the more dangerous teams in football next year, undoubtedly. The Redskins start the season with a tough five-game stretch that features four playoff teams. At the Eagles, at home against the Cowboys, at home against the Bears, at the Giants, at home against the Patriots. If I set Washington's over-under at one and a half, which one would you take? For those games right there? Those first five. those first five. One and a half. Oh, that is a tough one. You know, I'm going to go... Because I can easily see them. Maybe st- honestly, I think they're going to lose to the Giants at the Giants. Uh, I, Ooh. I know, so, I know. I listen. I think Eli Manning still got something left in the tank. I know that's a crazy thought, but at the same time, he we've seen him go have ebbs and flows throughout he his career. Ended the season last year on a really strong note. exactly, and that. you know, I think the Odell Beckham Jr. situation. While I don't blame OBJ by any means, I think it was just a major distraction for that team, and they really just weren't able. They also got Eli Apple out of there, who was. A bit of a cancer in that locker room. Of course, now he's on the Saints and they love him, so yeah. it's a win-win all around. But I, I think overall, you know, the Giants—they have Saquon Barkley. They still have uh, Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate as two very good wide receivers. Uh, you know, I think that offense is still capable of doing well. I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs. I'm not saying they're even going to have a winning record. Right. But I think the Redskins are terrible. And honestly, I, I would take the terrible. I would take the under at that at that point. I would take the under too, just because of how talented the teams that they're facing are. I don't think the Redskins are terrible. I think if they get a quarterback, if they're the team that trades for Josh Rosen, I like the roster built around them. I think they have a, they're deep in the trenches. I like the talent they've got there. They did overpay for Landon Collins, but that's still if that's the guy that you wanted, spend the money on him, get him in there. Um, of course, they have Reuben Foster for the entire season. He's a really young, talented guy. If he can get his head straight, um, the return of Darius Geis, like I said, ACL tears more of a two-year injury, but mm-hmm. having him back Mixing him in with Adrian Peterson, who, behind a good offensive line, like we saw last year, is a talented guy. The biggest thing with the Redskins for me is injuries. The last two years, they've been one of the more injured teams in football. If they can't stay healthy, then I agree. It should be another wash season for them. But it's interesting. You looked at... I had this discussion with our mutual friend Thomas Robertson, big Redskins fan. We were looking at the Redskins schedule last year, and it was incredibly easy to start the season, and then very difficult at the end. They ended the season with with some of the tougher teams... And now it seems like their toughest schedule is at the beginning. And if mm-hmm. you remember the Redskins last year, they got off to that incredible start. They were one of the... Six and three, six, six and two. Yeah, something, something like, like that. that, exactly. But now they won't have the opportunity to do that. Um, I, I would take the under, 
but I wouldn't say that they're terrible. I just think that they're, they'll be facing some of the best teams in football. I really think that's one of the better divisions. I think the Cowboys and the Eagles have really talented rosters. Um, and I, and I, I like the depth of Washington. But also, while we're on this discussion, does the NFL hate the Grudens? <laughs> I mean, I think that they have to like the Grudens in the point that they get them headlines. But I think they can also be headaches uh, in a lot of ways. Because, well, they have two of the most ridiculous schedules. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I, I Raiders have up. the hardest schedule, and the right. Redskins have the easiest. And by opponents winning percentage from last year. They have a stretch where they are playing... Who's that? Uh, the, the Raiders, okay. sorry. Uh, they have a stretch where, because they've got they've got a game in, in London, too. So they've got a stretch from Week 5 to Week 12, where they play... Two home games. Oof. So they've got to play because they're technically the home team in London. So uh-huh. they don't they lose out on that. They do have their bye week in there, but then it's 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 two home games, and they're traveling all over. They've got a, a long East Coast trip, um, and it, it's a tough schedule if you look at it for the Raiders. They've got to play, of course, their division. They got to play Kansas City twice. They got to play Green Bay. They get to they have to play Chicago, Minnesota. They have to play the Chargers twice. Like I said, in that division, they also have to play the Colts, the Texans. It's a pretty tough, pretty tough draw for them, and it just seems like maybe the NFL has something out for the Gruden brothers. I don't know. I mean, I think Roger Goodell groaned when he found out that uh, Gruden was going back to the Raiders. I mean, you know, he was already kind of a headache before he left. You know, he makes these ridiculous statements on TV all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he, he was the first guy to call out Derek Carr. Which, okay, if you want accountability on your team, have it within the locker room. I'm I'm a firm believer in that the coach needs to be the stable voice on top of a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just doesn't seem like he's that. Uh, you know, Derek Carr seemed to handle everything really well. Uh, and, and, you know, he had a bad year. They're, they're still going, rolling with him for next year. They don't plan on drafting a quarterback in the draft, last I've heard. No. So, you know, I'm, I, I think Carr can still be a, a viable QB. It's just more... You know, I don't trust Gruden. I don't think the NFL is super pleased with kind of the entrance he's had in, in year one. I mean, he's on a 10-year deal. They're, they're going to have to get used to him. But there, there is a blueprint for them to make up for all those trades that they made. Uh, with the three first-round picks, there are opportunities where they could get three, in my opinion, slam-dunk guys um, that wouldn't necessarily make it okay for trading away Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper for first-round picks. And, of course, you have to bank on those rookies playing out well. But Mm -hmm. if you take into account that maybe you get one of the premier defensive linemen with the the fourth overall pick, um, and then maybe in those two picks that they have in the 20s, I still expect the, the... the draft class's top running back to be available, and and the second best tight end in the draft class available. So if they could get two of those guys, they immediately come into the next season with one of the more talented offenses in football. Um, they signed Trent Brown. Now, not sure if that's going to pan out. They gave him a lot of money, so you got to make sure that it works. But I, I don't know. It's going to be a really interesting thing to see um, how the Raiders will adjust this next year because after that. They're on a Vegas, and, and you you got to have a team that's worth watching to really capture that fan base. Because if you think about it, people weren't really excited about the Rams their first year in Los Angeles because they were such a bad team in St. Louis. Their last year when, when Jeff Fisher was fired, they had one of the worst records in football. Jared Goff didn't look good. It really took some time, and I think it's still happening, where teams are actually buying into... LA having a team and it being the Rams and being excited about the Rams. We've talked about their stadium really is, is small and really doesn't even fill up at that point. And so 
The Raiders have a really big season where they need to make a strong impression on fans, so when they go to Vegas, there's a, a strong fan base. Final thing we're going to talk about here with the schedule release, the Patriots, Bills, and Jets have among the easiest schedules in the NFL, each only playing five games against teams that made the playoffs after being matched up with the NFC East and the AFC North. Can more than one team from the AFC East make the playoffs in 2019? I'm going to still go with no. I still think it's the Patriots division, so I'm, I'm going to give them the one AFC East team to make the playoffs, but it's not even to slight the Jets or the Bills, but I think it comes back to I, I'm not buying that this is the year where the huge jump is made for Allen or Darnold. Mm-hmm. I would see it more likely for Allen. Maybe people would see it more likely for Darnold just because he's going to have a much better team around him than he did last year. But I think if you look at their own personal growth, I expect Josh Allen to make bigger advances than I do Sam Darnold. I still have my questions about Sam. Um, new coaching staff in with New York. You got to make sure that Adam Gase, um, the quarterback whisperer, the quarterback <laughs> whisperer, and that's the thing is that it, you you're banking on Adam Gase, um, and Miami banked on Adam Gase, and they made the playoffs once, twice. Under his time, it might have been once. Uh, I want to say once. And I believe in that game they didn't even have Ryan Tannehill. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you're, you have to bank on that coaching staff working out. Now, I like the coordinator signings that they that, that, that he brought in. But um, I think when you look at... If you look at the realm of the AFC and you, you, you're taking the two wild card spots, I think it's more likely that we would get two teams from the AFC North or the AFC South. Actually, not even the AFC South. The AFC, AFC West. West. If you're taking into account, the Chargers and the Chiefs, to me, are still two of the better teams in the AFC. If the Raiders have a great offense, and, and maybe they draft well defensively, I don't expect them to make jumps yeah. to the playoffs, but I do expect them to be better. I would, I would buy into Vic Fangio and the Broncos more than... They, they actually were in a position to make a run for the playoffs Dude, with like four games to go. The, the Broncos, to me, are such an intriguing team for next season. Of course... They're not getting as much attention because the Chargers and the Chiefs were so good last year. But say they draft uh, Dwayne Haskins or a Drew Locke in the first round. Or maybe they still ride with Joe Flacco. Vic Fangio, to me, is one of the better coaches in all of football. Now, I'm not sure how he'll handle being a head coach instead of a defensive coordinator. But I think it was well warranted that he got hired. I think with the talent that he'll have on that Denver defense, you got to talk about the emergence that they got from Philip Lindsay. Um, you know, if they add some pieces on the offensive line, they could be a team that's also pushing for the wild card. So I don't want to say that it's, I don't buy it because I think the Jets and the Bills are bad. I don't think they're great, but I think just the AFC, the competition in those two divisions, the AFC North and the AFC West, I think they could each get two teams in. And in that case, it's, it's just an unlucky draw for the Bills and Jets. Yeah, I, I want to buy into the Jets and the Bills. I do like Darnold. I liked Allen. I know you, you hate Darnold, but I don't hate Darnold. I know you don't hate don't, him, but you're not high Darnold. on him. I'm not. All right, high on him, uh, and and I, I want to believe in them, but you you know you're right. The the AFC field maybe two years ago, I could we could have said you know okay, this is a season when the Bills or the Jets of this type of team could make it. You know that's when the Dolphins stumbled to winning ten games. Well, two years they, ago the the Bills were in the playoffs. Yes, remember they played yeah. that awful game with the Jaguars. It mm-hmm. was nine to six, I think was the yeah. final score. Ten yeah. to six. Oh. Uh, yeah, that was an awful game. Now the, the AFC has gotten better, which it seems like the NFC has been the powerhouse of you know. I, I equate it to the NBA. LeBron broke the East. Yep. 
the Patriots broke the AFC. Yes, exactly. Uh, and, and teams are finally coming around. I mean, a big part of that was Patrick Mahomes mm-hmm. coming into you know becoming Aaron Rodgers last year. Uh, you know that that was what kind of elevated the Chiefs to that level. Um, but we you know we saw the, the Chargers had a fantastic season. They were a team that I thought could do really well. The Colts surprised a lot of people. The the Texans had the third best record in the AFC. They're going to be facing the Patriots because they did so well last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know we, we've seen a lot of teams where you know maybe in years past it was kind of like. Oh, here come the Steelers uh, with with Big Ben, Le'Veon, and AB. That's that's the the big threat. Uh, they never did anything. You had the the Colts with Andrew Luck coming in. They're supposed to be the big threat. Andrew Luck coming in his own. He wasn't really able to do anything. That's a very different team than we have right. now. Which is why I'm yeah. uh, making that mm-hmm. parallel. Um, you know, the, the, but the Patriots have just been that constant there. Whereas the NFC, you know, we've seen powerhouse after powerhouse. You know, the Saints came in and and, and they were uh, a fantastic team. The Falcons came in. They made the playoffs. The, I mean, the the Super Bowl. The, the um, the the Panthers, sorry, uh, you know that that NFC South just in itself. The Seahawks were were a dynasty of the Legion of Boom. I mean, we've seen so many you know different groups uh, come in here and, mm-hmm. and and dominate throughout that that reign. Um, that you know now with the AFC and, and the landscape it's in, we haven't really seen this before. I mean, last year was you know revolutionary in that regard, where you know we were looking at the top ten teams and we were seeing I you know more AFC teams than we were NFC teams, right. uh, and that's not something we're used to seeing. So I think moving forward, though, um, you know I, I want to buy into the Bills and Jets, but you're right. I think that you know the field is just too tough. Yeah, it's too it's too difficult, and I agree. Maybe maybe I keep saying not next year, but the year after. I think it just it it'll take time for those two teams, and also take the fall of. The Patriots. I mean, that, if that's going to happen, if it ever does happen, if it ever happens, I've, I've, from what I've seen, it seems like Belichick wants to stay beyond Brady to kind of show that he can do it with hmm. other quarterbacks. So I think we might be getting Bill Belichick for yikes the foreseeable future beyond <laughs> Tom Brady's career, which will be R.I.P. to the rest certainly of the interesting to see uh, happen. But you know, um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think I think the rest of the field is just too talented to really um, give the Bills or Jets a fair shot. So I think that's going to wrap up our NFL portion mm-hmm. of the show. We're going to shift gears over to baseball. Oh, yeah. Uh, NL, NL East, which yes. uh, is my, I would say, area of expertise. I've been right. uh, you know, covering the Nats since 2015 from a blogging standpoint. I've uh, been a Nats fan since I moved to D.C. in 2005, so I've gotten you know that kind of opportunity to mm-hmm. take a look at these other teams and Boy, are we in for a run. I mean, this division is deep. Yeah, this division's deep, and they're one of two divisions right now where the top four teams either have a 500 record or better. It's them in the AL West, um, which has the Astros, Mariners, Rangers, and Athletics right now. Currently in the standings, I know we're early on in the year. Philly standing at 11-6, and six, Mets at 10-8, and eight, the Braves at 9-8, and eight, and the Nationals at 500, 8-8. But the one team I want to talk about first, just so we can get them out of the way is the Miami Marlins. Uh, probably the worst team in all of baseball. They've gutted their roster, thanks to good old number two, Derek <laughs> Jeter, came in there and traded away the NL MVP, last year's NL MVP, uh, really just kind of tore apart that team. And I guess they're going just through a total rebuild. And, and you know, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the Marlins, but realistically, we've seen teams historically, they do maybe a five-year Plan or something like that, and we've seen you know the Astros really just kind of gut everything, rebuild, and they've been one of the better teams in baseball. We saw it with the Cubs, who really gutted themselves and became one of the better teams in baseball. Um, when you're looking at the Marlins, what is the plan? How long do you think it takes before they are able to establish themselves as you know at least a 
uh, a team that other teams are worried about playing, I guess. You know, a team that can pose a threat to, to win a series here and there. I mean, the the whole idea of tanking really started in baseball more than any other sport. That was really the first sport to kind of jump onto that idea. And the two teams that did it were the Astros and the Cubs. Right. And at the time, when they started doing it, they were ripped, both teams, but especially the Astros. I have a book in front of me, Astro Ball by Ben Ryder, uh, Sports Illustrated baseball writer, one of my, one of my favorite books. Uh, I highly recommend it. He you know, talks about how the Astros... You know, knew everybody was ripping them. Knew that you know the national media was going to slam them. Fans were going to stop going to the games. But they said, "Hey, you know, we have our plan, all right? And it's it's going to take a while, but we're going to be really good." And that's how they ended up getting Alex Bregman, George Springer, uh, you know, a, a, few, a few other guys who who kind of came up through that system. Jose Altuve came up through them at the same time. So, you know, the Cubs came up, and then th- this is one of my favorite uh, statistics. Uh, it's not even a statistic; just fun facts. All right, mm-hmm. in 2010, the Giants beat the Tigers in the World Series, all right? Oh. I might have told you this before. Mm-hmm, yeah. And the two teams picking first and second in the draft were the Cubs, or the Astros and the Cubs, right? Mm-hmm. Fast forward to 2016 and 2017, all right? 2016, the Cubs win the World Series. 2017, the Astros win the World Series. The 2017 MLB draft, first two picks the Tigers and the Giants. So, you know, it really comes full circle. And in baseball, especially when you have 25-man rosters with whole full prospect systems, and I think prospects is a bigger part of rebuilds than it is in baseball than it is in any other sport. Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, yeah. you're, you're planning six years ahead, exactly. whereas, you know, you draft in football, you know, you want that guy to make an impact immediately. You draft in, in the NBA, you want him to make an impact within two, three years. Yeah. I mean, if he's a top five pick, you want him immediately. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really a long-term plan with a lot of risk, right? And the Astros looked at it as a, as a plan where we can eliminate the risk by taking a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. You look at what the Yankees did. They went through a mini-rebuild where they traded a bunch of uh, you know, Andrew Miller and Andrew Aroldis Chapman, uh, decided to sell. You know, the Yankees selling, you know, in any year before two years ago was considered blasphemy. I mean, they were the Yankees. They're the big spenders. They'll buy their way to championships. That's mm-hmm. the reputation, right? Well, they thought, okay, we're okay right now. We've got some young stars coming up in the minors. Why not just take a quick step back and see how we do? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they did. They got Glaber Torres. Uh, Aaron Judge came up and became a monster. I mean, you know, they got a lot of different pieces mm-hmm. uh, that they're now able to build this young core around. Right. And move forward with. So what I think the, the, the Marlins are doing is adopting what the Astros did uh, in the Cups and the Phillies and the Braves. These long-term rebuilds. Because mm-hmm. Miami has been under terrible leadership. Their, their ownership group prior to the Jeter group has just been awful. Uh, and they've actually won two World Series with that group, which is in, in itself amazing. Mm-hmm. But each after, they've had three separate teardowns. Leading up to now, where you know a couple of years ago they had they gave up uh, Jose Reyes uh, and uh, just a few other names who who are escaping me at the moment, but they had a big rebuild at the time. Uh, you know, unloaded a bunch of guys and just they got that's when they got Jose Fernandez started to come up and Giancarlo Stanton came up and all this stuff. Where okay, we'll, we'll be good in a few years. Right. It just didn't. The, each time they were too quick to give up on what they're trying to do, and they don't want to do that again. They mm-hmm. want to build a substantial base of players that they can build around. Right. Uh, you know, and, and the way their prospects are right now, their top four prospects, according to MLB.com, are all projected to make the majors within the next year, which it says that's good, right? right? But only two of those players are even in the top 100. 
So, you know, they don't really have the depth. I mean, Sixto Sanchez, who they got for Rio Muto from the Phillies, he's their top prospect now, but he's only six feet tall. You know, for a starter, starting pitcher to be that short is not very common. Hmm. Uh, you know, typically wow. it's it's considered poor for mechanics because you don't have the torque in your body uh, that you can do with the long hmm. limbs. Uh, you tend to profile more as a reliever if you're that short, but they're trying them out as a starter. Right. Um, so we'll we'll have to kind of see. And then Victor Victor Mesa, the big nice. signing from the offseason, uh, they got him and his brother, international free agents. He was mm-hmm. the most coveted player. Uh, he's supposed to come up quickly. He's a Cuban-born uh, player. So um, is he Cuban-born? No, it doesn't list it here. Might not be. Um, but regardless, you know, he's supposed to come. He's in single A, uh, advanced right now. He's supposed to come up in the next year. Those are supposed to be like the taste of it. But, you know, my only thing with the the Marlins, are they really just going to have to rely on draft picks? I mean, at this point, they don't really have a whole lot of assets that they can trade. Mm-hmm. You know, they've already shelled out Yelich, who they got Lewis Brinson from, who's been terrible. Uh, Marcelo Zuna didn't get them a very notable package either. You know, obviously the tragedy of Jose Fernandez means that, you know, they're not getting anything out of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, as far as prospect-wise. But, you know, for a team that wanted to rebuild, I felt like, you know, they could have went for it. I mean, they just were lacking pitching. I mean, their offense, they were the best outfield in baseball. The, each of the past two MVP winners in the National League were from the Marlins, or from that Marlins outfield, excuse yeah. me, who's Yelich now in the Brewers. Right. Um, but, you know, overall, I'm looking, I'm looking at at least five years. I mean, the, the one smart thing, I think, in all of this that they're noticing is... Look how good the NL East is. If we really wanted to try and contend right now, this just doesn't seem like yeah, the division to try and do point. it in. And I get that. Mm-hmm. I understand. But, you know, Marlins fans, they're, they're, they're giving up on the team. I mean, nobody has bought into this Jeter leadership because he tore up the team right off the bat. He didn't have any success with the Miami fan base to convince them, okay, I have a plan. He just came in. He talked all about making money making a profit for the team, which no fan cares about, mm-hmm. uh, and, and saying, okay, in five years we'll be good. And, you know, I understand as a Miami, uh, from a Miami, Miami Marlins fan standpoint that that's not something you can necessarily buy in. Do I think that it will eventually work? Yes. I mean, we, it's a proven method. It just takes a long time. And, right. you know, you're going to lose some fans during that time, and you might not be able to get them back. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's the thing. I feel like what we've seen a lot is a lot of ripping on Derek Jeter. Mm-hmm. And, and people have, you know, deserving so. Maybe, you know, if, if you if you are a team, if you're a fan of a, a team, you don't want to sit through five years of being one of the worst teams in baseball. You, do, you don't want to spend, you know, the next half decade. Think if you had a, to watch the next five years, the Nationals be the worst team in baseball. <laughs> I already did. Or, yeah. <laughs> or like if I had to watch five years of the Yankees being the yep. worst team in baseball. Like it's, that's tough to sit through and just accept it mm-hmm. because you know that it's going to happen. Um, but I think it all comes back to the process, and I, I, you just have to put faith in those prospects. But it does seem, from what you're saying, that it might be more of an uphill battle for the Marlins than it was for maybe the Astros or the Cubs. Just mm-hmm. with with looking at the return that they've gotten, like you said, and and some of the prospects that they have right now, only four, I think you said. No, you had said two in the top 100. Two in the top 100, so, and yeah. one's 97. Victor Vitamesa. So. Exactly. So you, you, it's <laughs> it's gonna. It seems like it's gonna either be a longer process for the Marlins. Or one that doesn't work out in the end. Um, but enough talking about the Marlins. We got to talk about the good teams in the division because there <laughs> the are ones I actually care about. The ones that I actually care about. I want to do some quick hitters with you. Not spend too much time on these before we go into more in-depth conversations. Uh, so I want to know, 2019. Here we are in this season. Uh, who is the best manager uh, of those four teams? 
Um, can we expand it to five? Because do you want to know the only manager in that division to win a playoff series in his career is Don Mattingly? No. Way. Yes, with the Dodgers. Uh, yeah. He was fired later on of and course. went to Miami. Um, but, you know, Dave Martinez has had bullpen issue after bullpen issue. I wow. have not bought into what he has done at all. Uh, it's really been disappointing. Gabe Kapler got off to a rough start, had some uh, shaky uh, decisions there in the beginning. He seems like a good clubhouse guy, and the results right now seem to be that they're gelling really well. They're, mm-hmm. they're off to a good start, the Phillies are, uh, and, and Harper has raved about how good of a manager Kapler is, so, you know, and he's considered innovative in that he, gotcha. he's brought a lot of new ideas to that clubhouse, so maybe Kapler number two, um, Mickey Calloway, Another guy who, you know, they got off to an 11-2 start last year, then completely fell off. He at one point uh, batted his lineup out of order uh, and cost his team an out, and they ended up losing the game. I remember this. Uh, So, you know, Callaway has made some glaring mistakes as well. Um, I kind of rope him and Martinez into this one uh, group. And the the other manager... Is Brian Snicker of the of the Braves and Snicker won the vision last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, albeit it was like he didn't need as many wins to do yeah. it as maybe like you know a lot of other divisions in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, it only took, I believe, it was ninety two for the Braves wow. to win uh, the, the NL East, and that might happen again this year just because everybody's beating yeah. each other up. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, Snicker I, I had some questionable decisions in the playoffs as well. Um, but he was a, an interim manager. After uh, the Braves fired Freddie Gonzalez a couple years ago, they brought Brian Snicker in to kind of fill in uh, for the rest of the year, and he, they did well enough where they were like, all right, you know, right. We'll, we'll, we'll stick with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's play, paid off. The Braves, the Braves contended a year early, uh, mm-hmm. a year earlier than we thought they would. We thought the Braves' you know, time to contend was 2019, but they came in and win the division last year. You know, Ozzy Albies, Ronald Acuna, Mike Fultonavich, oh, yeah. all big parts of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aroides Viscano, who's now out for the year, uh, was their closer last year. Um, you know, they definitely exceeded expectations, and a part of that is definitely the manager. Um, but I, I honestly have to go with Mattingly. I mean, yeah. you know, he's, wow. I, I wouldn't say he's the most popular pick, uh, per se, but, mm-hmm. you know, he does have the best track record, and I think that that's important, especially for a young team that's, you know, yeah. I think they need that veteran presence, and Mattingly brings that. Well, it's unfortunate then that he's, you know, on a roster yeah. like that. <laughs> but um, moving on now to. The best pitcher. Now, I, I, I feel like I know where we're going to go with this, but uh, just to be fair with them, the Mets have a great pitching staff. Nationals do as well. Uh, <coughs> you know, Aaron Nola with the Phillies, but it's Max Scherzer. It's right? got to be Max Scherzer. I mean, since he won the Cy Young in 2013 with the Tigers, mm-hmm. there hasn't been a better pitcher in baseball. I, I firmly believe that. He's led since that point. He's led the league in innings. He's led the league in strikeout in strikeouts, and he's led the league in baseball references WAR metric. So you know it doesn't really get much better than that. Does he have the best ERA? No. But you want to know why? Because Max Scherzer has the filthiest repertoire in baseball, and he is the most confident pitcher in baseball. And he will say, "My fastball can't be beaten." All right, I believe in it. Even if I'm having an off day with it, I believe in my fastball. And you know what? If it's a full count and I really need to go high and get you to swing through it, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to give you that challenge fastball. And every now and then that ball gets hit out of the park. Mm-hmm. You know, Max Scherzer was only the second pitcher in MLB history to win the Cy Young while also leading his respective league in home runs allowed. I mean, he, wow. yeah, I mean, he is not afraid to throw it down the pipe and see what happens with it. Right. Uh, and, and that's going to work more often than not. And sometimes, you know, if a pit ha- hitter just happens to get a hold of that, 
I mean, with the velocity and the spin that that, that pitch has on it, it's just going to get launched. I mean, there's no way around that. And Scherzer gets that, and that's the thing. When he gives up home runs, they're not they're not like you know two three run homers because he doesn't walk anybody. He doesn't allow very many other hits. Mm-hmm. It's just those occasional bombs that he gives up. And you know, as far as somebody who's watching that, uh, you know, for a long time, I'll take that. You know, I'll, I'll take that because he's going to give you seven innings, two runs, uh, and they might both be off solo bombs, but so be it. You know, right. I do think Degrom is in that conversation now. You know, he had that amazing streak with the quality starts, uh, but he just hasn't done it for long enough. I mean, we're you know we're, we're only a couple years removed from his injury problems. He, he's been healthy the past two seasons. I'll give him credit for that. Uh, he was outstanding last year. He definitely deserved to win the Cy Young. I just I think that best pitcher, you know, best pitcher in baseball, best pitcher in the division, whatever you want to call it, that is a broader conversation. It's not just about this year. It's not just about last year. It's just who has been the best pitcher up until this point? Because obviously right. we can't project you know, no. what's going forward, exactly. so we can only work with the data we have. And I think Scherzer stands out. Noel's gotten off to a bad start. You know, He was great last year. I, I still think he has the, the ability to turn it around. Syndergaard's been hurt uh, a bunch, but he's shown flashes, although he has like a five-something ERA. Same with Strasburg. He's the same way. I think both of them have just been hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one pitcher I think a lot of people sleep on is Zach Wheeler. Uh, I'm right. a big fan of Wheeler. He he had Tommy John a couple years ago. Uh, really took a long time to get back to full strength. But last year had a great season, especially in the second half. I believe he had the second lowest ERA in the second half among any qualified pitcher, uh, which is pretty astounding in and of itself. So, like you said, the the, the division's super deep in pitching. But I gotta go, Scherzer. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I don't have any qualms with that. I agree that there are some, you know, some of the best pitchers in baseball in that division, and, and we're talking about this division because they're one of the best. So, but I agree. I would, I would say Scherzer is as well. Now, best player, Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper, easily Bryce yeah. Harper. I mean, no, Bryce Harper is not a top five player in baseball. But that's the thing is, is you know, the NL East doesn't have uh, a Giancarlo Stanton. It doesn't have a Mike Trout. It doesn't have a Mookie Betts. You know, yeah. there's, there's no. Star per se. Now mm-hmm. Harper is a star in the everybody knows who he is sense. Right, but he's not the you know I'm the best player. Like you could make the conversation that he's the best player in baseball or the best player not named Mike Trout because that seems to be the the running conversation these days. Because I mean Trout is obviously Trout. Um, but I think Harper stands out because he's still so young. He's only in his age 26 season. Mm-hmm. And just listen to this stat. Only six players in MLB history have hit at least 150 home runs, drew 500 walks, and posted a 900 OPS through their age 25 seasons, right? Right. Six players. Four of them are in the Hall of Fame. One is Mike Trout, and the other is Bryce Harper. You know, yeah. obviously Harper isn't Trout. I'm not trying to compare the mm-hmm. two. But Harper is really, really good. And I think the fact that everyone expected him to be Trout, and he's not, makes him underrated, mm-hmm. which is hilarious which is to me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, as a Nats fan who, who saw Harper leave, you know, it hurt. Definitely hurt to see him go to a division rival. Um, I, I have all the respect for him in the world. I'm not somebody who is calling him a traitor. You know, he did what was best for his family. You know, the, the Phillies were the only team making offers within that ballpark anyway. Uh, you know, what is he going to do? Settle for less money because they play close to the Nats? You know, no, that's that's not what, you know, he needs to do for, you know, his wife was pregnant at the time. That hadn't been mm-hmm. announced yet, but he's going to have a kid soon. So, right. you know, he was looking to start a family. And, you know, he thought this was the best opportunity to give his family the money it needed for, you know, generations. And, yeah. you know, power to him. He's been an absolutely outstanding player. He's been on this track for a long time. I mean, he was on the Sports Illustrated cover at 16. Mm-hmm. Um, but Harper, Harper is definitely the best player. I would say number two is Freddie Freeman. 
Uh, first baseman for the Braves. Yeah. I he's a notorious Nats killer. I think he right. has a 700 career batting average against the Nats. It's absolutely <laughs> insane. That's incredible. Um, and it hurts every time he comes up. Which right. The Nats don't even play the uh, Braves until May 28th. May, yeah. So we have a while, so I have to, have to see him. But, uh, you know, he finished top five in... Uh, NL MVP voting last year, and I don't even think it was his best season. Right. He's been vastly underrated uh, throughout the years. Now, he does have an all-star appearance to his name, which yeah. Anthony Rendon does not. Uh, I think Rendon is right there in that conversation as well, but, you know, that's... Uh, I'll have to save that rant yeah. for another day. Uh-huh. All right, well, yeah, and we're going to switch to two of the younger guys. We're just talking about the best. we got to talk about soon-to-be two of the best. Um, I want to talk about Victor Robles and Ronald Acuna. Um, you know, both, uh, you know, Braves and Nats outfielders Robles is 21, Acuna 20, uh, 21, er, sorry, I'm screwing that up, I was looking at the wrong name. I was looking at our notes, like, oh. I want to talk about Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna, mm-hmm. there, now I've got that there right. There we go. Juan Soto, 19 years old, Ronald Acuna 20, uh, this season, um, <clears throat> Ronald Acuna is batting 322, has six home runs, 14 RBIs, we saw one of them while on one leg the other night, yep. uh, 14 strikeouts, and then if you look at Juan Soto this year, uh, batting average is a little down. He's hitting 254, uh, 12 <clears throat> RBIs, three home runs. Um, compare and contrast these two talents. Uh, maybe who do you think between the two has maybe the brighter future? Well, Soto's younger. Uh, you know, he was a teenager last year when he finished second. Acuna was 20, so he's a year younger. Um, but I, I think you know Soto is going to be the better hitter at the end when all things are said and done. Now, Acuna has good good patience at the plate, does strike out a decent amount, had 123 strikeouts last year, uh, which is a little too much for my taste. Um, but, you know, that OBP 366, that was still very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, there wasn't a whole lot to pick at his game, uh, and he's an excellent fielder. I think that's that's really what separates him and what made him the clear-cut choice for the year. I, w- I wanted Juan Soto to win selfishly, but I think Acuna was deserving. Right. Um, you know, Acuna's defense is absolutely outstanding. I've seen him make some incredible plays in the outfield. Soto is, is still a little suspect. He plays left field. He's kind of hidden away there uh, a little bit. I can definitely see him moving to first base at some point in his career. Um, especially if the Nats keep him there long-term. They don't have any long-term solutions at first base. Well, they have plenty of outfielders in the minor league system. So, you know, I I think long-term, you know, it, it's really tough to say who's the better player. I think Soto's got the better eye. Uh, you know, Soto's patience at the plate is insane. I mean, you know, he you will see him spit on pitches that are right on the black. And, you know, he'll get he'll get the call. Uh, and he'll whenever he doesn't get a call that he knows is right, he just kind of smirks and nods. He's like, all right, you know, yeah. I got you. And I, I love his attitude that he brings to the game. You know, I actually, I actually interviewed him for a story last year. Uh, and he told me, I, when the pitcher gets me, I laugh because I know they're not going to get me the next time. That's awesome. uh, and it's a game for him. I mean, he's just out there having fun. That's sweet. Um, you know, he does this thing when he gets to the play call. We call it the Soto Shuffle. Uh, where he, he does you know, a little dance before he kind of gets in the box. Um, Acuna has been so much fun to watch. You know, obviously being on the Braves, mm-hmm. I've had to watch him from an opponent's stand of view. But you know, overall, I, I think they both have great futures. It's hard to choose. You know, right. who's going to have the better yeah. career, especially at this point. Um, neither player has been hurt, uh, so that's good. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think uh, that can really uh, play a big factor when a player is injury prone. I don't, I don't think I see that out of either player moving forward. So. You know, if I had to pick one, I'd go with Acuna, but that's only really because, um, from what I've seen to him from defensively, um, and Soto has struggled, like you said early on, he's hitting 250. Uh, he's actually seen the fewest fastballs in the majors of any hitter. 
so, so far this season. So a lot of teams are just pounding curveballs, breaking balls on him, uh, trying to see what he can do with it, and he's having to make an adjustment. I think he's capable of making adjustments. He went through a slump last year for maybe 20 games uh, where he wasn't himself and then came back with a vengeance. So you know, I, I fully expect Soto to do the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, Acuna hasn't really hit that slump yet. No. Uh, so we're really going to have to see. You know, He was carrying that offense in the second half last year. Right. Uh, Ozzie Albies really fell off. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was really up to Acuna to be that guy. I mean, obviously Freeman is Freeman, so the two of them were really doing it. And, but you know, Acuna has been leaned on more in that offense, and now we're going to see with Harper gone, the Nationals leaning on Soto more. You know, he's batting cleanup or third most times. I think he batted third last night, but his cleanup most of the season. Uh, so you know, this, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun to watch right. these two guys play. Well, I mean, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing them one, two, and MVP conversations mm-hmm. uh, moving forward. I think that's absolutely what's going to happen. Yeah, it kind of reminds me. I mean, they're not as as young, but if you look into the AL East, it's like you know, you've got Mookie Betts and and, and a talent like Aaron Judge. Just seeing two two guys that are going to be there for a while. Mm-hmm. They're going to be their franchise cornerstones, and they're going to be some of the best players on their respective teams. Um, this wasn't something we had talked about before, but I do want to touch on the Mets a little bit more, and so we might not go into too much detail as this, but, but the Mets last season, four games below five hundred. I wasn't sure what they were going to do in the offseason. I wasn't sure if they were going to try and blow things up, given the, the competition around the division. Were they going to you know, um, bring back DeGrom in a long-term deal? What, what, what were they going to do? And then you know, they made a lot of moves in the offseason. Of course, the trade where they acquired Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano from the Mariners, that was huge. They brought in uh, Wilson Ramos at catcher, and then they also brought back, I know he went to Oakland for a little, help me with his name, uh, Familia? Jerry's Familia, Jerry's yes. Familia. So brought in a lot of players in there, and I know Familia was with the Mets previously um, for, I guess, he he left and then came back, and the, he's back mm-hmm. in New York. He's back. <laughs> and, so, and so if you're looking... And all these off-season acquisitions that they that they made, and of course um, the two big trades, uh, you know, for Robinson Cano and with Diaz, off to a strong start, off to a positive start, um, you know, winning record. Um, the pitching staff is there. It seems like they've got a good complement of offense defense. You also talk about the emergence of Pete Alonso. Um, when teams make moves like this, because it's, it's something that I look at in the NFL, when teams will spend an offseason and just add a bunch of players and try and make it work, some most of the time it doesn't work right away. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it doesn't seem to. They've gotten off to a strong start. So is, is this going to be sustainable for the Mets to be able to compete throughout the season? Or do you think that they're kind of maybe just getting a little lucky early on? I know it's not... A huge, um, you know, difference in the standings right now. They're sitting at what they're at. Game and a half back. Yeah, they're at ten and eight. But if you had to look, do you think that they're they're a team that'll be there at the end of the season in the thick of things? I mean, it all depends on the injuries. Gotcha. I mean, that's kind of just been the the story from the Mets. Uh, you know, they bring in Brody Van Wagen the new GM, who was a former agent. Now, that's not a typical route. That's uh, your uh, who who did that in the NBA? It's uh, Lakers. General manager is oh not this Magic is Johnson. <laughs> it is um oh you're t- Rob Palinka. He was a former agent gotcha. and then ditched it to be the general manager for the Lakers. So. See Blake, you're teaching me things. Exactly. This is why we do this. There we go. Uh, you know the, the Mets. Like I said, it really depends on the injuries for them. Uh, you know, Syndergaard's health is going to be important. Degrom obviously uh, has an injury history. Wheeler has an injury history. Stephen Matz has an injury history. And then Jason yeah. Jason Vargas is Jason Vargas. So, you know, right. that, that whole pitching staff up and down has a lot of question marks, but you, mm-hmm. there's always the potential. I think that's always been the thing with the Mets is even under Sandy Alderson, their previous GM, you know, he always believed there was two off-seasons ago 
the Mets didn't do anything. They kept, they re-signed Yoenis Cespedes, and they said we are going to stick with our team because they had a terrible season the year before. This was this was after 2016. They mm-hmm. they, made, they made the World Series in 2015. They missed the playoffs in 2016. And after that, they're like, okay, uh, we had a bad year, but we had a lot of injuries, so we're going to just count on being healthy again. Mm-hmm. And they were, and they were bad again, and they didn't make the playoffs. Uh, and this is kind of the team now. What Van Wagenen looked at it was, we are a good team that got hurt, but let's let's make some upgrades. We can right. afford to do it. You know, the, the Mets payroll had been slashed over the years. They had a lot of money to spend, uh, and he, to his credit, went out and did it. And uh, you know, I think uh, they made a lot of sneaky good moves. Uh, Jed Lowry, uh, mm-hmm. you know, who's been hurt uh, to start the year, he's been a very good second baseman and third baseman, uh, especially offensively. He's kind of had a late career revitalization of the bat. Gotcha. Um, Wilson Ramos, a guy who's injury prone, uh, has been one of the better hitting catchers in baseball over the past few years, mm-hmm. a former Nat. Um, you know, they've made it, they, they made that whole big bullpen move, and they bring in Robinson Cano, obviously, to also bolster that offense, which he's been very consistent, did have the PED suspension last year, right. but I think that was the first year in his entire career that he played less than 150 games, yeah. so mm-hmm. uh, pretty incredible. Um, but, you know, they bring in Edwin Diaz, they bring in Familia, uh, they already have Seth Lugo back there, uh, Robert Zellman is another good name, you know, they, they've definitely got uh, really good arms in the back of that bullpen, and they're supposed to be a power bullpen, now the results haven't been there. All five of the teams in the NL East are ranking within the bottom ten of bullpen ERA so far this season, which is absolutely crazy. Now, a lot of these teams have been playing each other. The Nats, right. up until the Pirates series, which is their last series before the one they're in now, had only played NL East teams. So, you know, they've been kind of doing that. But, mm-hmm. you know, as far as, as what I expect the Mets to do, I, I, I'm not someone who's going to predict injuries. You know, I, I will say, like, you, know, you, you can't count on Noah Syndergaard to make 30 starts. You know, I, I think he would probably hit the DL at some point throughout the season. Yeah. Uh, but he could surprise you, and, and that's just kind of how it goes. Uh, you know, I'd love to see Syndergaard pitch a full season. I want him pumping 100 in the playoffs. That would be amazing to see. Um, I'd say that the Mets are probably going to finish third in the division. I don't know how it's going to shape up right now. Um, I, I still believe the Nats are, are the best team on paper. Uh, their offense has been playing to that point. Their pitching rotation has been playing to that point. It's really been the bullpen holding the back, which the Nats' bullpen has been the worst of the five. Yeah. Um, but I think... I think that the Mets certainly have the talent. Um, it just really depends on if they stay healthy. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, because it's interesting. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think of recent teams, and, and there there are two different ap- approaches to building team. It's either you're going to build through the draft, um, and you're going to build through prospects, which, like you were saying earlier, is more of a long term process in baseball than it is in football or basketball. But then you've got those teams that'll just willy nilly sign everyone. And if you look at the you know the some of the big off seasons a while ago, and who was it that made big contracts? It was uh, Luol Deng mm-hmm. got a big contract with the Lakers, and so did who was that center for Clint the Capella. Cavaliers? Oh, oh, um, oh, oh, oh no! Ah, oh, man, that's gonna kill me. Yeah, um, the curly hair. What's his name? Oh, uh, come on, Cavs center, center, big deal. Come on, give it to us. Give it to us. It is not coming up. Not <laughs> coming up at all. Uh, let's try Lakers. It was Timothy Mozgov. Mozgov, yes. Wow. So, you know, it's stuff like that where sometimes teams will be over-aggressive in free agent, and that's an extreme case. Both of those guys were terrible on, on their respective deals, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, and like you said, it seems more of it's, it's an injury thing with the Mets. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean... You know, they signed Jacob deGrom to a long-term deal. Yep. You know, they, they had to do that. Mets fans were going to, you know, be <laughs> right. so mad. And 
the funniest part is Bertie Van Wagenen was Jacob DeGrom's agent uh, prior oh, wow. to him coming over to the Mets. So he was That's crazy. that whole time telling Jacob DeGrom, this is what you're worth, this is what you're going to demand from the Mets. He can't really say no at that no. point when, you know, DeGrom's probably coming in saying the exact same numbers. That's and crazy. DeGrom expressed frustration throughout the process saying, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. I want to get it done, but they're not, they don't want to meet my value, whatever. Jeez. And then it, it, right before opening day, it did. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they were able to get it done. He's there long term. DeGrom's good right now, but, you know, he's on the, mm-hmm. the older side. I'm not sure. You know, he, he was a guy that came up a little bit later right. um, than a lot of other prospects. You know, he spent a lot of time in the minors. I don't know if he's necessarily the best long-term investment, but, you know, at the end of the day, he's there. He's there. So. Exactly. Well, well, that's all I got for our, our baseball topic. And, you know, just to, I guess, maybe preview a few things that we got coming up next week, of course. Biggest thing I think going on in sports is the NFL draft, so we're going to have a lot of coverage on that. Oh yeah, we've got some guests lined up to talk about the NFL draft. We're hoping to get some guys in here to talk about NBA playoffs. I know we didn't touch on the playoffs right now, but promise we'll try and invest we'll more time yeah. into, into the NBA. That's not really necessarily our forte, but I'm definitely ready to to get into baseball and, and kind of or basketball and kind of get more in there. But uh, anything else you want to add before we before we sign off off here I, I had a good time with our first episode yeah it's, it's been fun I think uh, you'll all of you will have to get used to Game of Thrones references I'm sure that's going to be a recurring exactly. theme yeah uh, throughout the uh, show here but I think you know that's gonna wrap it up for us uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter I'm at Matt Wyrick Blake is at Blake Andrew Pace um, you can follow us both on there. We're tweeting regularly about baseball, your NFL draft, or these Colts on Nats, you know. But we talk about sports in general. So. Exactly. And I'm sure there's banter between us that will serve for some entertaining content. So thank you all so much for listening. We are looking forward to being here three times a week with you, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, today is Friday, April 19th. We'll be back on Monday uh, for our next show. Looking forward to it, Blake. Uh, any last words? Yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll, we'll catch you next week. Exciting times. All right, thanks, guys.